0: Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe.
1: Hello, my name is Kristen McMahon and I live in Lakewood, New York, USA my most fantastic job or work experience was a summer job i had in college as a parking coordinator for the 1996 olympics in atlanta georgia i worked at the track cycling and archery venue and it was exciting to be even a tangential part of the Olympics. Uh, We got to greet the athletes when they came in, we got to uh, help the reporters get to where they needed to get to, and then certainly after the bombing during the Olympics, the protocols changed and we had to accompany people anytime they came on, so then you got even closer contact with the athletes and the reporters. So that was really exciting and a lot of fun. The field I work in now is not at all a field I went to school for, although I um, (laughs) have been involved in nonprofits since I was in high school. Uh, So I started out as an antitrust attorney for a number of years, for about 15 years, and then about Two and a half years ago, I made the leap to nonprofit management. And so I work at the Robert H. Jackson Center in Jamestown, New York. Robert H. Jackson was a Supreme Court Justice, and he was also the Chief US Prosecutor at the International Military Tribunals at Nuremberg. And he was really one of the driving forces behind the creation of those trials. And that informs a lot of the work that we do here at the center. The last book I read, Well, and I usually have a lot of books going at once, um, but the most recent one I finished was the reread of an old friend. Uh, I like when I when I reread books, it's because uh, they remind me of things or prepare me for things. And so my father and I have been planning a trip to Egypt, and there is a series of books by Elizabeth Peters that followed the adventures of Amelia Peabody, a, an archeologist at, in the early 1900s. Most recent one I finished was The Snake, the Crocodile, and the Dog, which I think is book five or book six in the series. and I I'm working my way through the whole series. The last thing I wrote were some letters for our newsletter and for some brochures here at the Jackson Center. I have been writing a lot of remarks lately. This is the year of 2021 was the completion of the 75th anniversary of the nuremberg trials it was also the 80th anniversary of justice jackson's appointment to the supreme court and it was the 20th anniversary or still is the 20th anniversary of the robert h jackson center itself so we have been doing i feel as if i've been continuously writing remarks to introduce people events programs And I have been rereading a lot of what Justice Jackson has written in his speeches from 1930-something, spanning into the 50s. And so that's where I draw my inspiration from. I am inspired when I spend time with creative and passionate thinkers. I find it so energizing to work through challenges or questions or opportunities in a collaborative fashion. Um, You don't always have to get to the answer of something, but just that kind of group think with a bunch of really smart, engaged, focused people never fails to energize me. I come out of those brimming with so much energy, and then it's up to me to try and figure out how do I direct that and how do I, how do I tackle those challenges? So that's, I always call, I always say that's some of the soup I love to swim in, that is just uh, <laughs> it's great to have that kind of energy. I envision a future that has advances in justice and equity. And this really comes back to the work that we've been doing here at the Jackson center. So because of all the milestones that we are celebrating this year, we wanted to take a look at what does justice mean in a variety of circumstances. So over the course of the year, we've done programs on racial justice, environmental justice, gender justice, LGBTQ justice, education justice, uh, immigration justice is coming up for November. Really just try to get a sense of from both activists and people in those communities, what is their definition of justice or what is their definition of equity? and then how far are we from that? And so um, I have been consistently reading and having conversations this year on these topics. And I, I feel as if I am better able to notice inequities and I am still not really good at it because, uh, you know, as a white woman, there have been some inequities in my life, but I can't say that I certainly understand the intersectionality of multiple layers of marginalization. But to my mind, equity is not pie. Uh, you know, making sure everybody has equitable access doesn't limit my access to things, and so I do also find myself a little frustrated with some of the conversations around equity and justice where people seem to think something is being taken away from them if others are given equitable access. Uh, and I think if I were to hazard a guess, I think what people are concerned about is needing to compete for things that perhaps they did not need to compete for in the past. And that may feel like a loss as opposed to a right-sizing or a write a writing of the of the ship.
0: You know, I, I think of my own experience where personalities come into play, where there's a fear base where they're going to miss out, or they're going to they're having something taken from them somehow. And really, that's a perception, not a reality, don't you think? I, I do think I understand
1: that perception because, as yeah. I said, if you've never really needed to figure out how to achieve something, because the path has always been open to you then I can see how it might feel like that path is closed to you and it's really just widening the path and you may not get as far along the path as you expected to, or otherwise thought you would
0: without some challenges. Let's go back to, I think you said high school, middle school, where did you find that first introduction to philanthropy or nonprofit support work?
1: So I was involved with the Girl Scouts from a young age uh, and as I got older, then it was volunteering as well. So I was also a troop leader. I participated in Key Club in high school as well. And so that was probably my first real introduction to that level of service. And then my undergraduate university, St. Bonaventure, has a lot of service oriented programs for students to participate in. And that was also, you know, part of the Franciscan creed is service to others. And so you sort of adopt that without necessarily realizing it because the opportunities are everywhere. Everybody's involved in something. And so it's just, if you want to spend time with your friends, you're probably joining a social service organization um, to help with that. And then it continued into legal associations. And uh, I was a chapter president for, uh, one of the AAUW chapters in Virginia as well. So uh, it's actually hard for me to imagine a time in my life where it wasn't involved in nonprofits. Yes. Yeah.
0: Where do you see the challenge now in the role of a volunteer? You've got uh, a few decades of experience with the lifestyle or the purpose, mission-driven purpose of an individual to give back. Where do you see a challenge in this day and time? From the true volunteer
1: perspective, I think that there's a bit of an age gap. And so I'm not sure that younger volunteers are making the same efforts at this point. And I understand that on the one hand, there's a lot of life things that are happening. There's a lot of ebb and flow you can be in. And then if you start a family or if your career takes off or some other commitment comes along, I understand how that ebbs and flows, but I will say that I have noticed, certainly at least with our volunteers here at the center, and it feels a lot in Jamestown, they tend to be of a certain age. They tend to be retired and granted retirees have more free time. So that, like I said, that makes some sense to me. What I'm concerned that we're missing is these earlier opportunities to get people engaged right. in the work that we do and be interested in serving in the future so are we are we doing enough to both instill in them a desire to mm. volunteer and are people really looking for those opportunities to get involved in their communities?
0: You brought in the question, where's the pipeline, right? Where, where's the beginning of this pipeline for someone that's 10 years old now? And especially with the current situation where things are fairly restricted to movement uh, due to the, the virus, is there a need for a concerted effort, if you will, of creating a on-ramp for youngsters to look at this because I I reflect back too in the same kind of paradigm is that over time and experience you know you've got you could volunteer local fire department things things like that were culturally and regionally set but now you can volunteer from your basement online to you know multiple places and still fill that need. Do you think there's a lack of awareness and education and or formal opportunity to get a multi-generational, really a a full spectrum of different ages? So I confess to not Fully knowing at this point
1: how schools integrate this type of volunteer work into their communities. I know for here in Jamestown, for example, with community wide cleanup days and other community wide programs, there usually are a contingent of high school students who participate in that. I think part of this is driven by family. And so if I think this is one of those cycles that perpetuates itself. Um, And so if your parents are volunteers, you hopefully they bring you along on that. And so you get to see the value in that. I think that, you know, I'm not sure it needs to be a formal pipeline. I do think there may be, I think what would be helpful is community-wide communication about opportunities, about needs. It feels as if it is something Mm. that perhaps- Mm local governments could also help engender. And so, as I mentioned, for example, Jamestown has a community-wide cleanup day and that multiple community-wide cleanup days. And so that that tends to bring out a lot of volunteers and that's a relatively low effort, low cost way to do it. And so I think it's part of it. I do also think the current generation of high school and college students, they feel more actively looking for these types of opportunities Because we, we do have people who will reach out and maybe they're a college student home for this, for the winter. And it's just, Hey, do you need any help for the three weeks that I'm here? Like, is it filing? Is it, is it, you know, I like history and let me see if, if you need any help on things. So I will say we have seen that what I don't have a sense of is, you know, what is the driving force behind that? Is it, is it self-motivation? Is it Mm -hmm. family uh, legacy?
0: Is it right? (laughs) Yes.
1: yeah. I just, I have to get out of my house. Cause my parents keep bugging me. I don't know. Boredom. Um, yeah. yes.
0: Well, let's shift over to the more formal piece of nonprofit operations. What do you find is your, you've been in the role, what, three years now? Two and a half. So what do you find is your hardest or the most resistance to what you want to get done? Just as an operation, as an organization, what are the challenges you're faced with?
1: I mean for any for many organizations I have to imagine that the initial answer is resources. From my perspective and what I am trying to do with the Jackson Center we need to grow to do it. And that means growth at every level. So that is staffing, our funding, the number and the the types of programs that we're doing, it is our educational offerings, it's it's literally elevation at every level. I have some personal confidence issues in this area, as well as a, this is my first official leadership role at a nonprofit. And so I feel as if I don't know, I don't already know how to do a lot of this. Like I don't, I don't have that experience in my, in my quiver, but I'm pretty good at figuring things out. I have to not worry about being perfect. I have to be more focused on getting it done and not making sure it gets done perfectly.
0: Do you trip yourself up with that?
1: Yes, often. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. I understand the pain with that because you can overthink something to the point or you know keep trying to make it better. And it's like, you know, just just get it out the door. It'll it'll figure itself out. As you have pointed out, your vision of growth where and what are the parameters that you're shooting for what are you, what is your 5-year plan of growth the
1: jackson center has long had a phenomenal local presence we've had a significant international presence given jackson's ties to nuremberg and the center has been very good about Both forging and maintaining those connections, especially to Nuremberg, but to to other international organizations as well. And a lot of that also came through the International Humanitarian Law Roundtables that we have hosted. And the last few years, Uh, Case Western Reserve School of Law has been co-host as well. And so where we have not had a stronger presence is on the national level. And given Jackson's history and how he is revered by the legal community Um, so he is also the only person in the history of the united states to have held the positions of solicitor general attorney general and supreme court justice his portrait is the most sought after portrait in the department of justice there are so many ways we could be bigger and doing more, especially on the national stage. And so if I'm taking a look at this as a three-legged stool, I see two of the legs are pretty strong. And one is growing, but has a ways to go to catch up with that. And so my growth is focused on that as well. And so from my perspective, part of staffing comes to mind here because at the moment I do most of our programs, our education, offerings are me in partnership with our education coordinator, who's part-time, our education advisory council, who are local advisors, our director of development. And so part of what I see that we need is a dedicated director of programs and a dedicated director of education to really give professionalism and shape to those, to enable us to expand into partnerships, new markets, do everything that we do better and
0: broader. Well, that sounds exciting. It sounds like uh, you're at the front end of a very large chain that's uh, I think that's one of the reasons I was hired into this position.
1: Mm. Obviously, I have a legal background, so that was helpful. And I'm certainly not the only lawyer to have been a a director here. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to watch in Jamestown. I feel as if they around the time I started in this role, a number of the nonprofits in town were changing leadership. It's really as if there's a new generation of nonprofit leaders here in this particular town. And there are a number, a significant number of nonprofits in the Jamestown area. And I don't know what it was like beforehand, but from anecdotal comments, it feels as if this generation is more open to collaboration, Hmm. is less siloed, is more more interested in trying to support one another so we can all do what we need to do because
0: very few of us actually compete against each other. Even if you think you, in your mind you do compete, really, unless you're looking at the same exact clientele, you're not really competing, but you could be very well complementary. Right. Um, you bring up a good point on how Things evolve, things change, things progress. I also hear there's some political changes that have happened of late in Jamestown, which have kind of shifted a lot of things.
1: So uh, the mayor of, I believe, at least 20 years opted not to run for, I don't even know what term that would have been. (laughs) So so we did elect a new mayor uh, and he took office on January 1st of 2020. So poor man, the vast majority of his tenure as mayor so far have been dealing with COVID um, and all that all that, <laughs> right. that uh, brings with it. But he is obviously of a much different generation than past leadership. He is an openly gay man. That has also allowed, I think, a lot of new ideas to flourish here. Again, being very new to the community, I had limited experience with understanding what it was like prior to to January 1, 2020. I moved here in April of 2019. That most of what I just said is anecdotal, but people feel more comfortable expressing ideas, which has both its good points and its bad points. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we are very much in a politically divided area here. You know, mm. there, there are a number of challenges that are being handled in the community that I have to imagine are the same as being handled in any community. One of the things I've been trying to figure out is how do we depoliticize things that never should have become political in the first place? Yeah.
0: Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I have no answer for that. (laughs) That'll be on the next show. I I wanted you
1: to know I'm thinking about (laughs) it, but that's about as far as it has gotten. So.
0: (laughs) I hear in the distance a sound that sounds familiar to me. So I have to ask, what's your definition of knowledge (laughs) manager?
1: I know. Um, So for me, and this is actually a a particularly poignant thing for me because the Jackson Center has recorded pretty much everything it has ever done in its 20-year history. And that is a vast store of information. And really only one person has a full understanding of what all of that is. And it is not me. Oh my. Yes. So, so I, I spend a lot of time thinking, how do I get that information out of that person's head? Where am I storing it? So it is accessible for beyond me because at a right. certain point that person will no longer be alive. So also like, how do we make sure we don't lose this? How are we yes. categorizing things, organizing things to ensure both easy to understand what we have easy retrieval and from my perspective, how are we using it to move the conversation forward?
0: Exactly, yeah. Well, you've basically not defined it, but you've definitely defined the actual use case you need knowledge management for. So that's even better.
1: (laughs) You you noticed that I didn't actually define it. Okay, I I was hoping if I just kept talking, well, yeah, no, no, I mean,
0: you, you, you made the whole case right there Thank of you. the why, why do we care about knowledge and how does an organization make it a useful resource? And that's a challenge. It is absolutely a challenge. And there's so much lost, you know, like you say, when you've got one person that's holding all the keys, that's an absolute Game changer for an organization once that person's nothing but a void. And then it's like, oh, geez, we missed a great opportunity here. I guess we should have done something. Wow. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) I hate to leave on-
1: Hopefully I've made your case easier. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think you and I have a lot to talk about, so that's perfect. All right. Well, thank you. Hopefully we can uh, catch up again and see how things are progressing as, as you continue to grow. Thank you, Edwin. I appreciate it. Thanks for this opportunity to chat. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services. A nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.